0: bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another opportunity to gather together as your children. We know we're nothing without you, but we're everything with you through your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for adopting us, and we thank you that we have a great high priest standing at the throne in heaven representing us each and every day of our lives. And we thank you that by grace, through faith in Him, we now belong to you and nothing can change that. We thank you for your faithfulness, your love, your mercy, and your gentleness. We ask, Father, that you bless this message, empower us by the Spirit tonight, help us understand what you want us to know supernaturally. We thank you for your word as well. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, and by the power of the Spirit we pray. Amen. Giving the Gospel, Part 3. This has been an interesting uh, series for me so far even, uh, in the sense that when this series first came up, I did not think we were going to spend as much time as we have on the perspective of time. And the perspective of priorities, and really, that's what we've talked about the first two lessons, is time and how to look at time, and what our priorities are, and you know where, how we're maximizing time or how we're not. Um, so apparently, that's all very important to leading us to spending more time on the gospel, in some way, shape, or form, in in our in our own lives, in our families' lives, and even with the community. So it's kind of like he's turning us around. Again, to look at a different side of the rose bush. And hopefully, it's opened your eyes regarding time and priorities. And, uh, you know, really, hopefully, we're each giving an honest look to our own lives, saying, you know, am I too settled in where I am? You know, there's a verse, I forget the verse now, but, you know, don't settle into this world. You're a pilgrim passing through. Are we too settled in, even as believers that, you know, stick with the word? Are we too settled into our comfort zones and uh, not really living for the Great Commission, not really living for the gospel? So it's, it's been a good examination, I hope, without any condemnation. He even opened our eyes to various ways to give the gospel, not just with words, but with our actions as well. And on Tuesday, we were prodded with a series of questions that make us think about our approach to the gospel. We've been talking about showing the love of God. And these were the questions that he kind of peppered us with on Tuesday. Why do you think the Lord and his disciples fed, literally fed, food and healed so many people? Why wasn't it always simply preaching the gospel alone? After all, that's what saves us, right? Right? Was it to show and prove the love God has for us? And, and that made me think of the proof of our faith in 1 Peter. Was it to show and prove the love God has for us so that it would open up the hearts of men to the gospel? Just something to think about. In essence, when man is shown such acts of love, such, such acts of kindness, whether it's being fed food in, when they're in need or visiting someone when they're sick or in prison, when someone is shown that type of love, he begins to say in his heart, he really does love me. He really does care about me. Whether it's you, maybe even as a stranger, caring about another stranger, but by extension, it's saying, God sent this person to me. I know it. And and without those actions, somebody might stay in the area of doubt doubting God doubting God's love. So again we sh- we saw showing the love of God on Tuesday we know the doubting hearts we as human beings can have. And the Lord knew our weakness and in grace fed us what we needed. And it's arguable that we all need something different. Maybe someone needs protein, maybe someone needs vegetables. I mean, we could go on and on, but you know how he's so personal. He knows exactly what each one of us need to be fed, when we need to be fed. Uh, he you know, takes us to our, our knees at times, and then he'll take care of us. So we're ready and humble, and we realize it's him. Whatever it is, the Lord knew our weakness and in grace fed us what we needed to open our hearts to the love of God. And now we have the same opportunity to do that for other people. This analogy came to my mind. I don't know how good it is, but uh, we can help by being spiritual can openers because people's hearts are, are hard, and they're cold. Do you like something? They are. I mean, let's face it. So sometimes people will not hear a word you say. You can give the best gospel presentation in the world. They're not listening. But when you show them the love of God, when you, when you humble yourself and serve them, go out of your way, maybe even someone you don't even really know, that breaks their heart. That breaks it open. You know what I mean? And all you're doing is hopefully, with the right motivation, obeying Christ and stepping in the gap as he wants us to do and feed people whatever they need to be fed. Not ignore people that are in need, which is so easy to do. But only God's love softens hard hearts. And we have the privilege and opportunity to express it, to live in it just like Christ did. How Christ fed people, healed people, prayed for people. We have that opportunity to show the gospel. And then people might just say, wow, maybe God really does care about me. The Lord even said about his sheep, about his own sheep, that they fed him and visited him in prison. We saw that on Tuesday. And these type of actions in the lives of believers, they just exist in the lives of believers, because true believers have a heart that's been changed by the Lord. And it may not be all at once, and and if you're a new believer in the Lord, and you're just learning the Word, you need to relax and Keep learning the word and keep following the Lord's example in humility. But these type of actions of love are are um, inevitable results in a believer's life because a true believer has had their heart changed by the Lord. They look at things differently now, and they realize how much they've been saved, saved from. Go again to Matthew 25, 34. And let's just read part of this passage again as a description of what the Lord said about his sheep. True believers, not the goats, but the sheep. Matthew twenty-five, thirty-four. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. Notice how simple these things are. These aren't rocket science. This isn't you selling your house to save somebody. I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it unto me. It really is amazing that when you give someone in need a cup of water or or food with the right motivation, you're giving it to Jesus Christ himself. That's how God looks at it. Now, whether or not you can, if that makes sense to you or not, it doesn't matter. That's how God views it. So how wonderful is that? And can anybody do that? Can the faith of a child do that? Of course. You know, I just picture a little girl giving some tired old man on the corner a cup of water in Jesus' name. It's a beautiful thing. And this is the fruit of saving faith that comes forth. And this is what we have the opportunity to to spread, even to strangers. And that is a way to reach them with the gospel. I'm more convinced than ever personally on that. um, That Love is what breaks hearts, so to speak, breaks them open, that spiritual can opener, if you will. Love is what does it. Love is what changes people. People aren't going to listen to your words sometimes. They're only going to go by what they see. They're going to just think you're another hypocrite if all you want to do is talk to them and walk away. And in particular, I'm thinking of a lot of the homeless people right now. But they'll just think you're just another person that wants to get their message out and walk away and not help me at all. But you could say nothing and give them something they need. give them the shirt off your back, maybe even, and they're they are now reached. They're now broken. So it's the evidence of our faith and love for Christ when we do these things. And again, we know that these types of works mentioned in Matthew 25, they're not for salvation. But they are signs of salvation, just as the Lord Himself served and cared for others in His time on Earth. You want to follow an example? Follow Him. What did He do? Serve people, help people, pray for people. Serve people, help people, pray for people, constantly. And in between, giving the gospel, Given the gospel. But why so much service? Why so much? Pure uh, logistical help, if you know what I mean. Purely helping their needs, their physical needs. Why so much of that? Remember, the Lord said his sheep will follow him. And really, this means follow in his footsteps. I mean, we can't literally follow him right now. He's not on earth to follow like the apostles could. But we can follow him, which is following his word. My sheep hear my voice in John ten twenty seven, and I know them, and they follow me. And what did he do? We concluded in our last lesson that showing the love of God is a part of giving the gospel. We can often give the gospel without words, at least at first. When people see the light of Christ shine through us, which really is the love of Christ, when people see the light of Christ shine through us, if they're humble, they will know and admit that it's something foreign to this world. If they're humble, they will see that it's a foreign type of love that maybe they've never seen before. When people see the light of Christ shine through us, they will be open, humbled, maybe now ready to listen to the gospel. So now, while it is our time, we have opportunity. This is what the spirit's been knocking on the last couple messages. Again in a sense the spiritual life truly is a race against time. And so the scripture encourages us over and over to make the most of our time. And God wants to change our perspective regarding time and priorities and using those things for the gospel. We talked about using the time for the gospel. And how we are new creatures in Christ and God wants us to, or wants to set us free with his perspective. Time can either be on our side, used by us efficiently, or we can be used by time and wasted away forever and ever. We are new creatures and this is, this is why this comes in. Like, this is a supernatural thing. You've got to remember, you are a new creature in Christ. You don't always feel like it because sometimes you give in to the flesh. But you are a new creature in Christ now. And you have divine power. You have Christ in you. And we have a calling on our lives. We can make our time count for all eternity. Old creatures can't do that. Those who aren't born again can't do that. They cannot make their time count for eternity. You know, until the day of their salvation, all that time before the day of your salvation even, there's no eternal value to it where, you know, we can say we gave glory to God. But now that you're a new creature, you have, you have the chance to redeem the time because the days are evil. So we've been being asked, are our hobbies, whatever our hobbies might be or whatever you want to even call them, are our pastimes even, are they blocking out our opportunity to live for God's purposes while we still have time? There's nothing wrong with these things, but are, are they blocking out our opportunities? Are they uh, monopolizing our opportunities? As the Spirit brought up, there's nothing wrong with enjoying hobbies as a treat in life. But if they take over your life and your time every day, you might want to look in the mirror. If your hobbies take over your life and your time every day consistently, you might be a slave to those things. And most importantly, be missing out on becoming a partaker of the gospel. When we get to heaven, we do not want to have regrets, do we? To say, oh, wow, boy, did I waste my days away. It's going to be over before you know it. Using the time for the gospel. God wants to rescue us from being consumed by the things in this world. Even quote-unquote good things that seem to be innocent. Your heavenly Father is always looking out for you. Think about it that way. He's always looking over your shoulder. Trying to encourage you in the right way or encourage you away from certain things. His Spirit is nudging you, right? convicting you. And he's so patient, he's so loving, but there he is, you know, nudging, convicting. What are your priorities, son? Uh, what will truly give you peace? Do you really think that's going to give you peace? That thing you've been trying to forget about real life? <laughs> thing, that thing you've been using too much of to forget about real life? What will truly give you peace, son? Whose perspective do you have when something takes over your lifestyle that has nothing to do with God or his gospel? What do you think about that? I can tell you the person that's not into God's word doesn't really think about that at all. In fact, they're pretty happy to have whatever is taking over their lifestyle. Even if it might be not a sinful thing necessarily, but a consuming thing. But what do you think as someone convicted by the spirit and the word, what do you think about that thing? Does your perspective need to be changed? It, it hasn't been changed the last couple lessons and are you accepting it in humility or are you still kicking against it, right? We got that choice, but God is trying to open our eyes and our hearts. And it's between each of us and the Lord. We've been reminded and advised to wake up in Ephesians five fourteen through 17. For this reason, it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Making the most of your time. See, there's an active thing there that you have the opportunity to partake in, to live like that or not live like that. And remember, we can never get yesterday back. It's funny how God designed life that way, right? There's literally no way to go back in time and have a do-over of yesterday and make it count for eternal glory. And God designed it that way for a reason. Go to Romans 13:11 again Romans 13:11. So the spirit is still on this thing called time. So maybe you know maybe our problem is not that we're not willing to share the gospel. Maybe that's not our problem at all. Maybe our problem is that we're not um, making the most of our time. We're not seeing opportunities. We're not going out like the commission says go out. We're staying in, right? Staying in our own comfort zone, staying in our own homes. Maybe that's our problem. Maybe that's the only reason we're not giving the gospel because we all know the gospel. Romans 13, 11. Do this in context, loving your neighbor. Do this knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep for now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed so love your neighbor as yourself by the way remember that from a month ago don't just love your neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself before it's too late and you lose that opportunity you lose that opportunity Have you ever talked to somebody? Have you ever said hi to somebody on the street that you really didn't want to say hi to? Maybe it's your next door neighbor. You know, maybe it's um, someone who you recognize their face, but you don't remember who they are. You know, that happened to me today, actually. I recognized this guy, and I knew I knew him, but I couldn't pin it. I didn't remember his name. I knew I knew him, and I decided to go up to him. I almost walked out the door, though, actually, and not went up to him, but I said, ah, what the heck, and ended up being a good conversation. So like, it's one of those things where, I guess, again, we're kind of stepping out by faith and doing those things. But if all your time is on video games or all your time is uh, consumed by any hobby, it doesn't matter what it is. I don't want to pick on anything, really. If all your time is entrenched in that thing, then you're not going to be in that situation to recognize that guy or even see that guy that you know. So what's it saying? What's the Spirit saying? Love your neighbor as yourself before it's too late and you lose that opportunity, that opportunity. Loving your neighbor might be helping them in a variety of ways, maybe logistically, maybe with food or or helping them in sickness or whatever, and then giving them the good news of the gospel at the right time. But maybe this is our perspective as believers on the board. God has temporarily left us here for others. It's a simple truth. I mean, there's not, much, there's not many other reasons we're here left behind. It's really for others and to bring Him glory. But how do we bring Him glory? It's through serving others, through spreading the gospel. So God has temporarily left us here for the sake of others. Even though we've been saved, rescued from sin and death, we've been placed in union with Christ, From the moment we first trusted in Christ from our heart. By grace, we're saved. We have eternal life. We're seated with Christ in heavenly places. We could go on and on and on. But God has left us here for now for others. So what are we doing? Go to Colossians 4, 5. And let this perspective on the board set you free. Again, it's kind of like knowing the Great Commission. When you know why you're here, then you don't have to search for your purpose anymore. Right? Instead of struggling and trying to figure it out, keep it simple. We're here for others. We're here for the Great Commission. Colossians 4.5, con- conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders. Making the most of the opportunity. Is that same phrase that we saw in that other verse, Ephesians 5, making the most of your time. Here it says making the most of the opportunity. The Spirit has been saying, will you let your opportunities just pass you by? Or will you make the most of the opportunity in front of you? And forget about the past. Don't make that mistake. Will you make the most of the opportunity in front of you from this day forward? We can't get yesterday back. As we heard on Tuesday, now is the time for your light to burn. So burn, baby, burn. It's your turn. It's your turn right now. Have you ever thought about life this way? Think of the big picture. Right now, it's your turn on this earth. Everyone who has lived and died in this earth for the last 6,000 years, their turn's over. They had their turn. God knew how long each turn should be because he's omniscient. But their turn's over. Never to come again in this way, shape, or form to glorify God by faith without seeing God. So right now it's your turn. We only get one. We also saw this on Tuesday. Will you let your turn pass you by without being useful to the master, especially in regards to becoming a partaker in the gospel? What a shame if that happens. But the Spirit's waking us up. Be a partaker in the gospel. Be a partaker in the Great Commission. However it is that you get involved, whatever your role might be, be a partaker, be a co-participant. So sit back and relax. Be open to the fact that maybe the Lord right now is just trying to change your perspective on this, on how you use your time, on opportunities, on missed opportunities. Maybe he's just trying to transform your heart to be more like his. But the fact of the matter is, we do only get one turn. Don't just try to pass the time in life. It's an easy thing to do, especially when you're not feeling good, or if, you know you get a little funk, or you're depressed, or whatever, or you start getting in self-pity. It's an easy thing to do to just pass the time. Potato chips, beer, couch, baseball, whatever your thing is. It's easy to go into zombie mode and say, I don't want to think about anything right now, so I'm going to sulk with all my favorite goodies, and I'm fine with that. <laughs> I mean, what is that attitude, right? We're just trapped in self-pity, and we all fall into it. But is your lifestyle that? Will you give into that for hours a day so you can pass the time so you don't have to live life? When God's saying, if you live life by faith, it's going to be so much better. You don't understand. If you make the most of your opportunity, you're going to be so thankful in heaven that you obeyed my spirit, my word. Use the time. Look up and ask the Lord, what can I do for you today? If you ask that with sincerity, how could he not love that question? But it takes humility. Maybe you need to pray when you're in that funk. Bow your head and pray and say, Lord, snap me out of this, help me out here. What do you want me to do today? Where do you want me right now? Do you want me to call somebody right now? Text somebody right now? Do you want me to witness to somebody right now? What do you want me to do? Let me do something for your kingdom while I still have the opportunity. You might even invite someone to share in your favorite hobby with the intent not of sulking and wasting time but with the intent of serving them and maybe sharing the good news. Why not? That's going to come up on Sunday, actually, some examples of that idea. Why not? You know, uh, listen, one one thing could be, the same thing could be good or evil, depending on how you use it. Whatever that thing is. Right? If it's watching a baseball game, you know, if, you, if you're a slave to it every single day of your life and you just use it to um, avoid living in the plan of God, then it's evil to you. If you use it as... a a treat as an enjoyment to yourself and as a method to even share the gospel, then it is good to you, right? It, It goes back to our motivation. So you will be blessed. You will be blessed by using your time for God's purposes. And another reason you'll be blessed we talked about is a great relief that comes from living for others. When you actually live for others, you are relieved from being occupied with yourself. It is a wonderful truth of life, that right there on the board. When you actually do live for others, you will be relieved. It's a reaping what you sow thing, you could say. This is how God designed life. He designed life so that the only way to find true life is to live for others. It's how we're built. It's how we're built just like that hole in our heart that craves to know about God in eternity. That's how God built us. And so our Lord designed life itself so that the only way to find true life and peace is to live for others. And we know we find true happiness when we submit to His ways, which are opposite of our ways. So we're being told over and over by the Spirit, wake up while there's still time to be used for God's glory. And this, by the way, this whole conversation is not a works issue. This is a faith issue. It's not saying go out there and do all this stuff right now and make it happen and, you know, use your human will and force it even if you don't feel like it. No, we're talking about a faith issue. We're talking about trusting God for these things praying for the strength and the wisdom to do these things, for opportunities even. And when we live in, in faith, when we have the right attitude in our heart of humility and submission, that his ways are better, that you don't know what's best, but he does, that faith is what's going to produce wonderful works in your life, help you not waste the time, and even become a great blessing to yourself, even a great relief to yourself go again to first Corinthians 7 verse 29 we saw this also on Tuesday but I think this is worth repeating it really is a perspective change <coughs> at least for many of us <coughs> excuse me first Corinthians 7:29 But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened so that from now on those who have wives should be as though they had none and those who weep as though they did not weep and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice and those who buy as though they did not possess and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it for the form of this world is passing away. Notice in that passage, the good and the bad things. Stop being occupied with them. They're all all passing away. If you're sorrowful, stop being occupied with it. It's going to go away soon. If you're, you're, what's it say, rejoicing, stop being occupied with it. It's going to go away. Live for God. The, The form of this world is passing away. So is that your perspective in this verse? Or is that foreign to you? That's the godly perspective. The Lord could return at any moment. The form of this world is passing away. So God is encouraging us to stop sleeping. Put on the armor of God so we can be used for every gospel opportunity that He wants us to be involved in, directly or indirectly, and share the good news boldly as we should when we can. Go to Ephesians 6, verse 13. And I want you to notice again as we read this verse all the reference to, references to salvation and the gospel as part of fighting the good fight of faith. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You know, that word preparation just jumped out to me there. I mean, we've been preparing for years, many of us, in the word of God, right? Well, let's put the boots on. It's preparation to do something. Shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, Satan's going to attack you as you go forward in the Great Commission for your life. He's going to distract you. He's going to tempt you. But you have the shield of faith. You're going to have to lift it up and block those arrows that are coming at you to say, you can't do this. You're not going to do this. You're not going to make enough money. You don't have the time. You don't have the time to live for others. What about yourself? He's going to pepper you with lies and temptations And maybe even from other believers so that you don't live in your calling and you don't become a partaker of the gospel. So notice the order of this thing even. Shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Pray for others. Pray for your fellow soldiers. And pray on my behalf, Paul says, that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Folks, we have the truth, and we know it's the truth. When we speak boldly about the gospel, people say to themselves, wow, he's really, he really believes that. I can tell how convicted they are. I, don't, I think the message is a little crazy, but look at their conviction. And that is what, again, kind of breaks open their heart a little bit, that spiritual can opener. Conviction, boldness, love. And this is not boldness in terms of arrogance, you know what I mean? Not in an arrogant way, but in a graceful, loving way. Boldness, knowing you have the truth and knowing the Lord's on your side. That's what changes people. So Paul prayed for that. He's like, I know that's how it should be proclaimed. It's the good news, after all, of eternal life. So there's little doubt that one of our main purposes from God in this life is living in this calling of the Great Commission. And we're quite familiar with the Great Commission, but we also saw on Tuesday Luke's version on the board in Luke 24, 45 through 48. Then he, and this was Jesus after the resurrection again, Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And so we accept our Lord's call in humility, we're eager to somehow be a partaker in this great commission. And one other thing the Spirit's been telling us, giving the gospel should simply be part of our lifestyles as believers. It's who we are and it's what we do. It's not something that should be forced. If so, then maybe we have a faith issue in the way. You know, maybe we're not Trusting God, regardless of how good we think we are at speaking, which that's going to be coming up too. But giving the gospel should just be a part of our lifestyles as believers. It's who we are, it's what we do. We share the good news when we have the opportunity. We share the love of Christ. We show the love of Christ when we have the opportunity so that their hearts can be opened up and maybe they'll be actually open to the gospel but we shouldn't separate giving the gospel into different parts of our lives, you know, coordinate off to be safe in a certain part of our life. You know, it should just be part of every area of our life. Giving the gospel, if we decide to live in it, the gospel becomes us, and we also become partakers in the gospel. And we actually look for ways to relate to people, as Paul did. Do you see how how the viewpoint's different there? Like instead of waiting for people to come to you to present the gospel, you actually look for ways to go present the gospel, right? We make giving the gospel part of our everyday lives. If we do that, it's part of love and obedience to the Lord's call. This is why the Spirit has been prepping our hearts and giving us His perspective on this. So now we're going to switch gears a little bit. And now that hopefully we have a different perspective on time and its value and priorities, the apostles gave us wonderful examples of how to share the gospel with others. Throughout the book of Acts, there are a variety of presentations of the gospel as we've seen earlier this year on the board, some examples are Acts chapters 2, 3, 7, 10, and 17. And this is just something maybe to go home and read, to refresh yourself on the different ways they gave the gospel. We're not going to go over this in this series again. But to almost encourage yourself and give yourself their their viewpoint again and their approach, their style. Uh, You'll notice when you read these chapters the boldness that they just plainly said the good news without apprehension, without um, tiptoeing, without, you know, just this is it. This is the good news. And that's what you'll see. And I hope you use that to your advantage just to encourage your soul. We certainly know now that there's more than one way to lead people to saving faith in Christ. And the Spirit will guide us if we're listening. He knows what people need need to hear and what people need to see. He wants to prepare our souls for what will be coming, which it seems like what will be coming for all of us are opportunities, if we're open. Opportunities. He's saying, I'm going to give you a chance. I'm going to put you in the lineup. Grab your bat. Start swinging. Start loosening up. Sorry if I can't get away from the baseball analogies. Apparently, I'm still a little resentful. But uh, really, he's saying it's your turn, right? It's your time. Start loosening up. I'll use you. You know, I'm 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 not going to give you more than you can handle. I'm not going to tempt you in a way you can't handle. I'll use you how I want to use you. It's not necessarily on the front lines, per se. But if you're open to being used for the gospel and you pray about that, he's going to use you. And you start using time differently and thinking about life differently and opportunities differently, and you pray more about that, you watch how he opens your eyes and gives you things of eternal value to do. So Paul also gives us general direction on giving the gospel. We just saw in one verse how he said, help me proclaim it boldly like I should. In 1 Corinthians, I was reading, and it just jumped out at me, how Paul repeatedly tells us how he shared the gospel. So on the board, the way Paul reached the Corinthians with Christ and started a church there for them was by relying on the truth and the Spirit, not on his own words of intelligence. We see this in 1 Corinthians 1.17, chapter 2, 1 through 5. Chapter 2, 12 through 13, and chapter 4, verse 20. So as you read this point on the board, rely on the truth and the spirit, not on your own words of intelligence. Some of you are like, that's good, because I got nothing. I got no intelligence. I've got no eloquence in my words. And that's a good thing that's a good place to be because now you're weak enough for God to get all the glory when he uses you. It can actually be a hindrance when people have intelligence or eloquence because now you've got to get out of the way more. You know? Paul was arguably a genius but apparently very humble by what the Lord uh, saved him from so in humility, he put himself aside and relied on God's wisdom and power not his own. Go to 1 Corinthians 117. Let's see these few examples today. 1 Corinthians 117. Thank God if you're not good with words. Maybe just maybe he just wants you to show people the love of Christ that's impartial and unconditional. And let that speak. First Corinthians one seventeen. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. This is this is a genius speaking who knew the Word of God, knew the law inside and out. He said, I'm here to preach the gospel not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. So on the board, regarding giving the gospel, it takes human effort to have cleverness of speech, to, quote-unquote, try to sound eloquent and intelligent. It takes human effort. And you know what? It stinks. It, it actually is more, you're making it more work than it's supposed to be. In freedom, we can drop that garbage and simply stick to the cross of Christ so that it won't be made void by our many words. Live in the freedom. Live in the childlike faith he's calling you to do. He's asking you to water a plant. He's asking you to water a seed. Plant the seed. Enjoy that freedom. He's not asking you to do it the hard way or a complicated way. He's asking you to do it the simplest way you can without adding your own attempts at looking good. Go to 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1. Again, on the board, it takes human effort to have cleverness of speech, to try to sound eloquent and intelligent. But in freedom, we can drop that garbage and simply stick to the cross of Christ so that it won't be made void by our many words. 1 Corinthians 2 1. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. This is the Apostle Paul. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. I don't know about you, but I don't think of him that way. I think of him, you know, you think of him as a great believer and a powerful speaker and bold. But this is why he was so good (laughs) at spreading the gospel. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. So that your faith, would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Paul didn't want his hearers relying on him and his wisdom. He didn't want their faith resting on him. And that's what happens if we try to be eloquent and powerful and blah, blah, blah. Paul's like, that would be a huge mistake. That's why I was with you in weakness and in fear and in trembling. I don't want you to look at me. I want you to look at Christ and the cross. Your faith needs to rest on the power of God, not the wisdom of men. So Paul didn't want to be a hero. It's a good example for all of us. He wanted people to see that only Jesus Christ can be the true hero. And that's why he got out of the way, and he listened to the Spirit, and he relied on the Spirit's power. And... Part of a demonstration of the Spirit's power is us being open to what the Spirit wants to say. Again, part of a demonstration of the Spirit's power in us is being open to what the Spirit wants us to say. When we do that, the receiver of the gospel will often be thinking, how do you know that about me? He just said exactly what I've been thinking about or what's been bothering me. When we get out of the way and we let the Spirit say what he wants to say through us, that's what happens. That's the power of God, one example of it. Coming through the Spirit if we get out of the way and stop trying to have our own wisdom. We mustn't rely on our own wisdom or rehearsing our own presentation of the gospel, but on his power and perfect guidance. And let the fact that God can use an ass to speak to someone give you confidence. And I'm not talking about this ass, I'm talking about Balaam's ass, okay? But he used a donkey to give the gospel. And so he says, Will you just be that vehicle? Will you just be that um, vessel? And let my spirit speak through you? Stop rehearsing, stop trying to look good, trying try to look smart trying to have words of wisdom. What a shame it would be that the cross of Christ be made void because of us getting in the way. So this is all good news, by the way. I mean, this is all making it simpler for us if we're humble. This is not complicating it. This is making it easy to give the gospel. So we saw this too on Tuesday. You might be the quietest person on the planet but he can supernaturally use you to say the right thing at the right time and bring someone to Christ, if you're humble. On Tuesday, I made the reference to someone just saying the name Christ when asked why they're loving someone impartially and unconditionally. And I just want to clarify, I'm not saying that that's the accurate way to state the full gospel, okay? We know the fullness of the gospel. We've been trained well now by the Spirit and the Word for a year. It's what people need in the moment that counts. It's what the Spirit knows that that somebody needs in the moment that counts. So how might that be giving the gospel, even just saying the name of Christ, when asked about the love that we're showing them? Well, let me ask you this. Isn't it the work of the Spirit that gets someone saved? Isn't it supernatural for a person to turn to Christ in their heart? So how do we know what the Spirit wants us to do or say for that individual? How do we know if he only wants us to say the name of Christ and that's it? Let the rest of it be actions of love. Isn't it the Spirit that gets someone saved? Isn't it the Spirit that convicts them and helps them turn to Christ in their heart? Of course. It's supernatural. So maybe that person, upon seeing the love of Christ in you, just needed His name to be said at that moment, and the Spirit took it from there and convicted them. And then the truth came flooding into their soul and they believed in Christ at that moment. Not because you gave a full, perfect, uh, whatever, dissertation of the gospel. Because you illustrated his love without qualifiers or requirements on them. And then when they asked, why are you doing this? You said Christ and left it at that. Maybe that's all the Spirit wanted you to say. Awesome. Awesome. Let him go to work. There's times you'll, you'll, you'll uh, be motivated to give the full gospel, to explain it, maybe to tell the whole story from beginning to end in a way and have fun with it, like in the book of Acts. And there's times that he maybe calls you to do the deeds of love and say the name of Christ. But the Spirit's the one on the board. The Spirit is the one. Who helps people actually believe even if we don't actually use the word believe to others you want a couple of examples of that again go back to Acts chapter 2 and 3 the word believe is not even mentioned by the apostles and people came to Christ they believed by the power of the spirit because they believed the message but the spirit is the one who helps people believe even if we don't actually say the right words, even the word believe. This is why we go out and trust the Spirit in what needs to be done and said. Step out on on faith. Get off your couch. When you're ready, pray. Pray, see, see how he wants to use you. But just go out and let him use you with the faith of a child. Stop trying to plan things and say the right words. It's God and his plan. It's not about us. We are just vessels, vessels of mercy. And he will use us mightily if we're just willing to go out. Look at 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12. Now we have received... Not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Look at verse 13 again. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, But in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. It's a supernatural thing, folks. We got to get out of the way. I've been in my own way for a long time, you know, even with the gift of evangelism, having my pre recorded, (laughs) you know, explanation. And um, he's just like, we just go out there with a faithful child and let me fill your mouth. And that scares us. That's what it is. In our flesh, we want to be in control. We want to be in control. We want to look good. We don't want to look stupid. So fear is what holds us back from giving it over to the spirit. But if you, if you do the, this thing, amazing things happen. And many of us have been seeing this lately, going to the parks and seeing the homeless or whatever's going on. With A lot of people have been trying it. And I'm telling you, you see this thing, verse 13, in action if you just go out without a plan, without what you're going to say in mind. And I'll give you an example. Sometimes just asking someone if you can pray for their problems is a wonderful show of love. And this was mentioned last night in the Bible study too. And we learned this at at the park when witnessing the people. Sometimes just asking someone if you can pray for their problems is a wonderful show of love. Just saying, is there anything I can pray for, for you? And some people are blown away by that offer. And then you put your hand on their shoulder and you go to God the Father on their behalf and the Spirit puts words in your mouth. When you get out of the way, the Spirit puts words in your mouth. It's happened to me. It's happened to others I know that have gone. And it's hard to describe. But by God's grace, I sometimes find myself saying things that I had no intent of putting together. No intent of even bringing up. It's the spirit combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But it takes um, dropping your insecurities and letting him do what he wants. So I don't know how to explain it other than the fact that it's supernatural. And I just want to encourage you that he's like, this is easy. It's supposed to be simple. Just go out. Let me use you. You know the good news. You know the gospel. Don't worry about it. Go out and show people that you actually give a crap. Go out there and just show them. Talk to them. You know, I don't know, give them a bottle of water. Um, you know, spend a minute with them. See what's going on in their life. And let the Spirit do His thing. So don't underestimate the power of just asking someone if you can pray for them. You'd be shocked sometimes. Uh, what was I heard this story of a guy who... What he would do is he would just go around to people that he didn't know on the street. And he'd be like, excuse me, I just want to tell you, I love you and God loves you. That was his approach, okay? Not that I think it should be the same every time like that, you know, but that was his way to approach people. And he said that to one guy who was this big, burly, huge, tough, bad-looking dude. And he said, you know, I just want to let you know I love you and God loves you. And the guy broke down crying and said would you would you would you pray for me? I'm going through a lot right now. You have no idea the type of reactions you get when you're willing to step out, you know, and offer of that olive branch and say, you know, Do you want me to pray for you? Uh how are things going? Are you all right? Do you need anything? It's truly amazing and it's the power of love that opens up that heart to hearing the truth. So we'll continue with this on Sunday morning. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your wisdom and your Spirit's guidance and for opening our hearts and minds to your spiritual ways. We ask that you work within us. Help us be willing, willingly humble, And let you combine spiritual words and spiritual thoughts as only you can do it, Father. You know exactly what people need to hear. You know what they're going through. Help us just be vessels of mercy. Father, help us learn these things and apply them to our own hearts and help us bring your good news out to a lost and dying world that really needs it so desperately. We ask your blessing upon everyone as we go this evening. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of the Spirit. Amen.